Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast. Here at IFIOC, we love to talk communication. We love to talk motivational interviewing, and we love talking about improving outcomes for individuals, organizations, and the communities that they serve. Today, we've got Casey Jackson on the line, John Gilbert, and I'm Tammy. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome back, everyone. We are back here for another podcast here with the MI guys. And we have another very special guest that's also a director here. Uh, and uh, in my eyes, quite a big wig. Our name is Dr. Amy Burns. <laughs> Hello. And uh, Amy, if you wouldn't mind for getting us started, just give us a little bit of sense of your uh, role and anything else you'd like to share, of course, but particularly your role. And then from there, we can get into how you've applied MI, your, your thoughts on it, and how you've applied it in your role, if you'd be open to that. Yeah, sure. Well, first off, I'm really um, happy to be here this morning talking about one of my favorite topics. Yay! Yay. Exciting with the MI guys. Um, so, um, I am an associate program director for a psychiatry residency in Spokane, Washington. And, um, I, and my other role that I kind of created for myself because I felt like it was important is as the lead for motivational interviewing training for graduate medical education for all of the residencies Spokane wide. Um, yeah. So, Basically, I first got into motivational interviewing, um, teaching medical students that were on a psych clerkship, and then it kind of grew from there, (laughs) in part because of all the training that I got at IFIOC that kind of helped me give me the confidence to be able to, to expand what I learned and teach it to other physicians. Well, and I've got to dive in because... Just to give Tammy and John context as well, too, when Amy and I connected, I mean, there was multiple things that that kind of grew from that. One was just fascinating because I'd done training for physicians before, and it really was a lot of looking at, at the time, actually looking at pagers and, and waiting to get out of the training and, and being respectful. But Amy was just questions, 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 because she had such a phenomenal foundation of motivational interviewing. And since we were teaching it less from kind of the acronym side and more of the fidelity kind of measurement side, it just it was just like this kind of perfect meeting of the minds. And and for me, the thing that just was just overwhelming was when um, she had reached out and wanted to look at training, having actually having her instructors physician instructors go through MI training to think about how to train MI in their classes, not just an MI class, because that's pretty traditional. Like they have them go through a section on motivational interviewing. And that was kind of about where they were at. And Amy was leading that, but Amy was saying, you know what, we need to infuse this in every, all of our coursework. Like this needs to be a foundation of how people conceptualize patient care um, instead of, oh, they need to go through an MI class. That's, that's where I was introduced to Amy and, and where we had some conversations and got to do a little bit of work together and, and with some of the, the team that she works with. So that gives you two context about just kind of just that's that's why I thought oh, it'd be so fascinating if we get Amy to come on and, and talk about her perspective with this. Wow. Very forward thinking too, Amy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very much so. 
Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that really influenced the way that I think is when I think about life expectancy disparity and behavior changes, health behaviors, and how these health behaviors are the things that are leading to life expectancy changes in our patients in the medical field. And in a lot of reasons, a lot of ways, motivational interviewing could can result in behavior changes as um, significant as medications that we prescribe and um, making sure that we can have the skills and implement these this form of treatment is as important as pharmacology is for physicians um, because it can result in that kind of behavior change. And so that was kind of the inspiration behind wanting to make our physicians that we train really, really good. And the other thing that I think was a part of our thinking here in the Spokane Graduate Medical Education was around the, the idea that we pride ourselves on practicing evidence-based medicine. And evident, the evidence base for teaching uh, motivational interviewing um, really demonstrates that one workshop is not enough to change clinician and client behavior. And that you really have to have the coaching and feedback and coding if you really want to get your patients to change. And so without those things, um, the learners may think they've got it and may really like it. They think that they're doing it, but when you actually code them, maybe not so much. Hey, not so much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what, um, really inspired our teams to think about um, less about uh, the medical knowledge acquisition of like the acronyms and the, the theory behind motivational interviewing and focus more of our energy on skill acquisition and attitude, which uh, attitude towards employing it, attitude towards what is, what does this mean, um, valuing its importance in there practice. You know, and it was interesting timing as well, too, because we were working on the MICA and um, and some of your folks went through a MICA training right in the early stages of us while we were developing it. And when we finally first published the very first version of it, I mean, we're at version 3.2 now, but that first version, literally your, your folks were some of the first ones to get exposed to that fidelity training um, when, we're, when we're working on the motivation and competency assessment and got a little bit of feedback on that as well, too, in the process of working on it, which was was exciting for us. And I think it was a fun kind of partnership right there in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. We had we were able to send faculty from three or maybe four different residency programs. So internal medicine, hospitalists and family medicine, outpatient docs and psychiatrists. We all came together, the faculty, and um, learned how to use the MICA to code. And then we quickly turned that around and implemented it before everybody forgot it and got out of practice. <laughs> that was really critical because then you can lose your confidence really quickly if you don't start practicing it immediately. Well, and I need to ask you this, Amy, because, you know, I've, I've said it before, but I'm curious. I mean, motivation is not new. It's been around since 1984. It, it's been, you know, swirling around the medical field for years. And I know it's it's implemented at a much larger level than it was, you know, in the beginning, but it was, 
I guess in my experience in the MI circles that I run in, you know, and, and get exposure to nationally and internationally, in the States, it's like pockets of of programs that see value in it, but mostly it's just kind of this brief exposure because there's so many things we need to get residents through. And it's just like, it's like dust in the corner um, is the way I've always kind of perceived motivational interviewing. And when I met you, you were the, one of the first people I'd met in the medical field that was like, guys, we need to really, really, really pay attention to this. Like this is, this is significant. Why did your brain grab onto why did you gravitate towards motivation in the way that you did and, and you've stuck not only have you stuck with it you continue to be c- completely intrigued with it yeah it's really hard to know like why <laughs> well parts of it maybe have to do with just that i really felt like it was a good fit for my temperament and my personal ethos about how i like to respect my patients and honor their autonomy and where they're coming from and what they want to do. And I really experienced it as a way for me to practice medicine with less burnout. I felt less responsible for the the patient's outcomes in some ways, while simultaneously making a bigger impact by practicing motivational interviewing. And so I found like it was a huge part of my own personal physician wellness I think part of it had to do with the the fact that I was working with some really treatment refractory patient populations and other strategies weren't effective. Medications weren't effective. And so I really needed to look outside of my normal um, psychopharm. And so those are some of the dynamics that came together. One of the things that I thought about when you were talking about is how um, in the medical education um, world, That motivational interviewing, you know, there's more and more workshops being taught in medical schools, and then they'll do another workshop during um, residency. And there's near universal support for motivational interviewing, but yet its incorporation is, is still kind of emerging. Yes. And I think it's starting to grow a little bit on the uh, heels of a growing recognition of the problems substance use disorders are causing our society. And so there's pockets within graduate graduate medical education um, that are calling for um, motivational interviewing competency to be a requirement by the governing bodies overseeing um, graduate medical education or residencies. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. So there's been, um, and that's probably been in the last five years that there's been growing editorials and calls for that. I'm on a task force uh, that really um, among psychiatry training um, program directors that's recommending motivational interviewing training in psychiatry residencies. And so there is like some growing want and need for that. And um, you'll see some trainings occasionally for graduate medical educators, but nothing required. Tammy. Amy, Amy, I had a question for you. So you mentioned you wanted to immerse, you know, your culture in motivational interviewing. My question is like, what, what did that systematic change look like for you guys? I know you, you mentioned that everyone went through the mica and the coding, but was it literally every single person went through, you know, training and then the mica coding, or did you do like a smaller group that became like coaches to your organization that helped kind of coach other people? 
What was that systematic change like? Yeah, well, I think I started myself and probably Dr. Maurer. And um, like, he's like motivational interviewing fanboy, number one. (laughs) And, um, And so he and I would start doing some coding and then we decided we wanted to try to take it up to uh, the next level. And Dr. Keeble was really instrumental and a real powerhouse in support of motivational interviewing. It really helps to have leadership that's in support. And so that was a huge part of our success too, is that we had leadership that was really supportive. And then we had a group of faculty from each program, not every faculty member from each program, but rather a few select champions that got the MICA coding. And then each of our programs implemented a series of curriculums that um, made sure that we trained every single physician that was coming through our programs. So that's kind of how we started trying to build the culture. Okay. Well, I have to say, Tammy, on as far as the culture goes, on the flip side, for me, I've trained so many people in the medical field, but what stood out to me so much is that the culture had already started with with Dr. Maurer and and uh, Dr. Burns's perspective, because it was the first time I trained people in healthcare, like especially at the physician level, when they came in interested to learn when. Amy said they kind of hand-selected some of the ones to go through that initial training, like the the champions. I just was, I always prepare for, I need to present differently to physicians. I just, I prepare for that um, because there's a culture around that. And this was the most collegial, collaborative training. Like I was, after day one, I was just blown away because their brains were so interested in learning from an integration perspective. So that cultural, I mean, Amy talks about that's where it started. And for me, it's like, oh, that started way before that with Amy and and Dr. Maurer's passion for it, because that had to have rubbed off. Or the, the, the folks who came into my training, the physicians who came into my training were so intrigued and wanting to learn. Like it, it felt so like sponges who wanted to collaborate and talk about it. And let's look at nuance and how would we present this to students and how would we weave this into this type of curriculum? I mean, the level of collaboration and curiosity was so far beyond what I expected. And to me, that is part of that culture that existed within their program. That that didn't show up because it's like, hey, let's send some people through and then we'll build culture. That culture, what for me, I could feel had been cultivated long before um, I was able to provide some information uh, and support the, the initiative. That's great. Yeah, I just am always curious because a lot of agencies do come to IFIOC going, we want to immerse our organization and motivational interviewing. So Amy, being a successful organization that has done that, granted, Casey, to your point, it's all because of the mindset people are coming in with, but that's just great to know. You know, like looking back on it, I wonder if part of it had to do with uh, that we had our faculty champions self-selected. And so they, they got to decide themselves that they were wanting to make this change. And um, we had really pitched it as an evidence-based practice and really compared, you know, like, are we really training our physicians in evidence-based practice if we're not giving them this piece of the, of the skill set? Um, and really challenged their concept of themselves as 
really comprehensive educators. Like, are you really, if you're not doing this? So. Well, and, and again, because, you know, Tammy and John, you both work on so many projects. What was interesting too, is like Amy was coding before the MICA as well too. I mean, that was just part of the expectation of the residents is they were submitting um, and getting coding and coaching. That was just, that was just standard practice in, in the MI class. And so for me, what was just, I still think it's so progressive is that it was that integration into other classes outside of MI that it was really thinking about how do we put this into curriculum? So this is a mindset shift within the context of the service we're providing of how do we engage patients more effectively? And I, I think it was, and I even think it was on that parallel process when you're thinking lifestyle medicine, it's like, we need to think this way because this does have profound impacts and it's not just a method. It really is something that can have an impact on behavioral health outcomes. And we need to think about this more comprehensively. I, I just think at the time when you're thinking, you know, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, that was really innovative. I mean, that's, that's just not the exposure I had or what people that were training people in the medical world that I was talking to as other MI trainers, there just wasn't a lot of that going on. That was not the norm by any stretch. Um, so just context for people. I just want them to understand like this really was innovation. Um, and it, and it wasn't for the sake of innovation. That's why I wanted Amy on is because it's just her brain wouldn't let go of MI. It's just like, yeah, there's, there's a there there and I need to keep looking at this and wow, this is really fascinating. And wow, we thought about it this way. And then to have a team that was thinking that same level is just, that is outside the norm. It's outside of the norm of everything I had experienced and um, all the things in the MI world of other trainers I'd talked to. It just wasn't the norm in the medical uh, world. Wow. It's so interesting to think about because um, I didn't really know that at the time. I just knew that it was important and that, um, it needed to happen in order to take care of patients. And you know, it's been ironic, like, you know, I have un unintended consequences. There's been yeah. a huge physician wellness um, that's been coming out of this as yeah. the physicians feel less and less uh, personally responsible and unwell at the end of the day. So it really helps the, pa the patients take more responsibility and help them change, you know, so that the patient, that physician doesn't have to take it home. Oh that's my gosh, great. Amy, that's huge. I've been um, trying to, over the years, see burnout research, and there's not as much as you would think in motivational interviewing, but there's a lot of anecdotal reports, and that's what's so interesting, is uh, what you're reporting is this sense of, ah, the sense of not as burnt out, and you can call it empathy fatigue, compassion fatigue, that happens, but for physicians, there's a lot of other things you've got to navigate as well. So yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I'd be curious to hear if you guys will do any sort of uh, research around that because that is a, a ripe area. But I, I do want to highlight how you have gone about it. It seems to stem from uh, an attitude of yourself that you brought to the table of having the champions uh, lead, yes. which seems to be across all the organizations we've worked with, really critical with your early adopters. Like you yes. obviously were keyed into, but then also you had an evidence-based pitch um, as well. And that's really important for, um, you know, physicians not doing harm with the essence of the Hippocratic Oath, as well as you're taking it to a level of an evidence-based practice. So all of that seems to stem from 
your perspective and your attitude and how you're approaching it. And then what you and Dr. Maurer brought to interact with Casey, it just was this attitude of openness, but progression, uh, but contribution. And there's just a lot there. But I, I want to also get a sense from you, too, um, just with with where you've taken it. You were mentioning to us before we started that you were recently at a conference uh, presenting with this. And so I was really curious about some of those points you were making and what you felt was most important with where you're at now, with what you've learned with the whole program and just yeah, where you're at. Yeah, it was really, it was really interesting, this um, conference that we took, that we presented at. And I combined forces with uh, four other training programs that, that were different parts across the country, some of them small programs, some of them academic powerhouses. And we all came together and presented our motivational interviewing curriculum as kind of a, of a way of letting other teachers kind of see how different programs do it depending on their size, their bandwidth, the faculty, and so on and so forth. And so um, at this conference, we talked about the evidence base for teaching motivational interviewing and what's known about um, how you have to, what you need to do in order to get your um, learners up to speed. And then we um, each presented our curriculums and there's a huge variety in how and what curriculums look like across the country everything from an hour-long didactic with no role playing at all all the way to high fidelity coding um until proficient you know you have you have to keep going until you do it kind of thing and and so what some of the things that that takeaways from that is that there's a variety of different fidelity coding tools that the different programs have talked about you know there's the mighty them which um because of the length of time that of tape that you need to have is a little bit cumbersome for the medical field and for that reason that's part of the reason we really like the mica but the majority, some have created their own tools. Um, some programs have that are even faster and quicker than the mic. And then I've even learned about some artificial intelligence. One of the things I learned about artificial intelligence coding of yes. listen. Yes. Um, and so I guess like if a program had more money than time or faculty, you could theoretically think about, you know, purchasing artificial intelligence. I'm coding. I haven't looked into it too much. Um, but so those are some of the things. Um, you know, another thing that I really uh, took away from that conference was this sense of, I feel like in the medical education, we think of two or three, three different pillars for training physicians, knowledge, skills, and attitudes knowledge, skills, and attitudes. And those, those are three things that we try to teach around for medical physicians. And I feel like as far as motivational interviewing curriculum, we've been over-reliant, way too much time spent on knowledge. And these physicians can learn notoriously fast. You don't need to spend but a few minutes um, and you can let them read something and they can learn faster from reading. A lot of them can. And so we've really pivoted away from knowledge to spending almost all of our energy and skill acquisition and attitude. Wow. We don't really feel like 
I don't spend any time talk teaching someone about something that they can read off of a piece of paper. So we do not even in our seminar, we don't spend any time with knowledge. We just do skill acquisition. I don't really care if you can pass a paper test on motivational interviewing. So, um, and the patients don't care. Well, because if they're in your program, you already know they can pass the paper test. Yeah. <laughs> if you give them the book and give them an outline of kind of what the expectations are, you don't even need to do instruction. They're going to pass the test. Oh yeah. I don't, they, these people can jump their hoops in their sleep, but what is really hard is applying, operationalizing the concepts and being getting the skill that is the area for improvement. So I spend zero time. I think we do have like a two hour workshop in our first year, but the vast majority is on skills. It's probably not the best analogy, but the analogy I always use because I'm, and actually literally today, I just got a, a text this, or an email this morning about people wanting to train the trainer training. And, and they want to send like their standard trainer for the organization through the training. And what I tell them is I, I compare it to brain surgery. And I said, if somebody has never performed brain surgery, but they can teach it, that makes me nervous because there's going to be questions and there's application things that if, if you've never performed it, you really don't know how to instruct it well. So you can read the book and you can smart enough to teach people and tell them how to do brain surgery and talk about the mechanics of it and do a phenomenal job. But if I put you in front of a brain, this is a dynamic process. It's not a static process. Um, and when we're talking about language and human behavior, and we're talking about the brain and the yeah. way it functions in communication, like it's not as easy as you think. And, and, and people still want to reduce it to, well, it's just a training on motivational interviewing. And for me, the level of complexity, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years, teaching it for 20 years, and I feel like a novice still. Like it, it's just every time... I unfold new things and I read new things about, you know, brain science and trauma and the way the brain works and how language affects parts of the brain and how our attitude affects parts of the brain. And that affects how we should be speaking when we're using motivation to affect behavior change. So it's like, so when I get these calls of people saying, Hey, we want to send somebody through a train the trainer. So our organization can get it. I always get nervous and I don't want to be a contractor say, no, you just need to buy more training. Cause that's not it. It's this, what you're talking about is there are things that need to be in your structure if you really want to have this actualized in an attitude and a skill base. It is so beyond knowledge acquisition. Like it uh. is definitely beyond. Otherwise, the reputation of MI is, well, we tried it and it didn't work. But then we measure that and they weren't doing MI. They were right. doing what they were trained to do. And that isn't necessarily motivational interviewing. And I think that's that's, again, why I think it was so innovative in the way that you conceptualized it in the way that, you know, Bob was thinking, you know, the way, you know, your whole program was really thinking, we need to think about this in a comprehensive way. And I always believe with motivational interviewing, then the proof is in the pudding. What people find with evidence-based practices is when you practice with fidelity, things get better. Otherwise it's not an evidence-based practice. And so when you do get to that level of competency or proficiency and you feel less burned out, then you feel this shift happen. The, the one other thing I wanted to comment on what you and John were talking about with the the shift in in burnout and, and just you know physician wellness and and you know practitioner wellness is I've really been talking a lot about in medical model Western medical model we have just been forced to be the experts like that is the expectation you don't go to school that long you know in any of our professions you don't go to school that long and and get pushed as hard as you get pushed to not be the expert you need to have the document on the wall you need to show that you can jump through those hoops. And then what I tell people is, 
and your patient doesn't care. They want to know <laughs> that stuff is there. Yeah. But they don't care about all this. They just want, they just care about themselves, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so it, it forces, motivation forces a collaboration. But the, once you get past the, the part that you can surrender that I have to be the expert, and instead I'm almost this medical consultant and I can sit shoulder to shoulder with them and find out how do you want to use my expertise to better your outcomes? And it's a collaborative process. That's where you see exponential behavior change happen from that point. But it's just, that's just culturally not Western medical medicine. Uh-huh. And you come into the doctor, you sit, you explain what's going on. They tell you what you're supposed to do. And then we stigmatize patients by saying, yeah, they're, most of them are pretty non-compliant. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, you've got to engage your brain in a behavior change process for behavior change to happen. You can't dictate behavior change or everyone would be healthy. Uh-huh. Everyone would be eating their three square meals a day and exercising a minimum of 20 minutes a day. And you, know, <laughs> you would just hand them that brochure. You would just have the book of health and say, read this book on health and do application. Once again, it's not about knowledge. It's about no, skills and attitudes. Exactly it. It's like exactly. a, you can know what the right thing to do is and not do it. Like our yes. patients demonstrate. Exactly. So that's, that's what I think for me. And I, it's, it's fascinating for me that, that your brain wasn't looking at how innovative it is. I think because from my vantage point and being able to travel across country and around the world a bit, and looking at through motivational interviewing that really your mindset was very progressive um, from that perspective. And I know that when you're in your own little world, it's like, well, it just makes sense. So if it makes sense, I'm going to pursue this. And it's like, but you and Bob or Dr. Maurer were just like, no, this is really something we need to look at. Well, you know, I don't think we could have done it without the support of IFIOC. I know we couldn't have done it because you guys were able to give us the background and to show us the evidence base about how you teach people, how people learn, and then to be able to train us in the MICA. I mean, so it's been a collaboration. And I don't think it's any surprise that um, that our proximity toward yes. to you guys is the reason why we were able to pull this off. Yeah. For me, it was the kind of the the, the perfect synergy that happened. The yeah. timing, the location, um, and just the chemistry. You know, because we again, it is a it's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> when we get into uh, with yeah, just your whole team, and and uh, it, it's it's just it's just always an awe. It just feels fun to be shoulder to shoulder in Little Spokane, Washington. I you know, know, it's so funny. It's very funny. <laughs> And to hear these things that are happening now nationally or internationally because of the work that, you know, our programs are doing. Yeah. You know, one thing that I'm really excited about that's kind of our next um, step forward is we are, you know, to John's question, we are gathering some data about physician wellness metrics from our learners to understand their experience of how motivational interviewing has changed their their, um, experience of practicing medicine. And the other direction that we're also um, moving in is starting to gather data, a measurement-based um, uh, treatment. So using a metric to, and we're going to be trying it first in patients with addiction. So we're going to be using the brief addiction measure um, in measuring how motivational interviewing is impacting our patient's ability to change and to get better. Because I kind of feel like that's this, the holy grail. Like, what's the use of doing all of this if the patients aren't getting better? And so I'm really hoping to close the loop on our curriculum with that being the cherry on the top is if the patients, first we get the learners, um, 
you know, some tapes where we see they're practicing high fidelity medicine. And then I want them to have the rewarding experience of watching a patient's um, get better as a result of their wow. And I feel like that that'll be the final, like reinforcing loop to get the, the physicians to keep doing it. That makes so much sense. Wow. That that's what's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. That's, that's my dream. Yay. It's, it's taking, it's going to take me years, um, to get it done because it has implications for electronic medical record and workflows with MAs and, um, things that, Things are more complicated, but yeah. what else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I look at our little corner of the world that it's just like, I. it's just, to hear where your program is now is just, it's so, so exciting. Um, well, if, if people wanted to, to touch base with you, or reach out or contact you, what would that look like, Amy? I mean, how could, if people yeah. just... People have, could email me at amy.burns at providence.org if they want to talk to me. I'm happy to share a curriculum. I'd love to help other programs that are wanting to, um, to grow and get better. Well, I, just, I just appreciate you taking time to do this. I know your time is incredibly valuable and it just, for us, I think for people to hear um, your, your perspective and your vantage point and what your mindset has been uh, is just incredible. And I just appreciate you taking time to do that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I We couldn't have done it without you, IFIOC. Thank you. I'm a fangirl, too. Excellent. It's mutual, it's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming on today, Amy. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Excellent. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast. As always, this podcast is all about you. So if you have questions, thoughts, topic suggestions, ideas, please send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at IFIOC.com. For more resources, feel free to check out IFIOC.com. If you haven't already followed us on social media, please do. You can find us under the IFIOC on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on YouTube and LinkedIn. We also have a public Facebook group called Motivational Interviewing Every Day. In addition to all these amazing resources, we do offer online public courses on our website on motivational interviewing and effective communication strategies. Thanks for listening to the Communication Solution by IFIOC.